Howdy, howdy do, Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And this is episode 283. Yes. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 who fans? Welcome back to another week at the Big Blue Box. Episode 283 is upon us. My old buddy, my old pal. Hello there. Another weeky. <laughs> yes, I hope all of our listeners are keeping well, keeping safe. Hope you're all good. You've had a cracking week, of course, and that you've all managed to do something Doctor, Doctor who, who related. It, yes. In some shape or form, of course. Yeah, yeah. Been a crazy week, dude, for Who fans. There was uproar. Uproar, I tell you. Yeah? Yeah, the Radio Times did a poll, didn't they? Oh, no. Have you heard about this rubbish? <laughs> I'd actually managed to forget about it. I was thinking, yeah. when you said uproar, I was thinking, about what? Like, uh, the Doctor Who fans are always in uproar. I was thinking, what is it this time? Well, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. But, yeah, of course the, it's the poll. Yeah, oh. yeah the poll. So, over 50,000 Doctor Who fans or general people I'm not even sure some of them were fans but over 50,000 people cast their vote over at the radiotimes.com they do that i think they do this poll every couple of years or, or something yeah. anyways two things that people were upset about the first one that david tennant came in at number one and uh the second one was that jody came in at margin like she just scraped in at in the second place both of them got 21 percent, but uh i think david tennant got about about 80-ish more votes, I think, roughly. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. And everybody was really miffed at that. Everyone yeah, was I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I, I expected Tennant to be number one. I'm pretty sure he's 
uh, in the sort of re- you know in the in the sort of range of people that would vote in this type of thing, I thought, yeah, Tennant will come out on top. Um, who was third? Just out of interest. Third was Mr. Capaldi. Oh, Capaldi. Okay, well, that's cool. And I think Davison was last, wasn't he? Poor old. Poor Dave. Poor old yeah. Peter yeah. slipped below Peter, sorry. now. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I did see this. I mean, these sort of things. I mean, I have to agree with Colin Baker on this. And then list these lists. Um, how? Because I can never choose a favourite doctor anyway. If you ever try and do a doctor ranking, and I do love trying to do this in my head from time to time. I I love trying to put who is my favourite doctor because it changes all the time. You know, I quite often, for example, feel like you know Pertwee's not really you know sometimes thinking oh, I don't really get you know I like like Pertwee, but he's not in my sort of top five. And then we'll review a Pertwee episode. I'm like, God, oh, Pertwee's great as the Doctor, you know. I really sort of underrate him. And um, so, you know, my personal list just changes all, all the time. But, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I would not agree with this list personally. <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah. Because I think, you know, my favourite Doctor is Tom Baker. But I think he's, like, way down, isn't he? He's number five. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, respectable. But you know what I mean? He would be right at the top for me. And Matt Smith would certainly be above Jody, in my opinion. I just think he's a much more solid, rounded doctor. But, you know, each to their own. And these lists, they I think they've got the, res- the result they wanted in terms of the Radio Times wants uh, people to be talking about this list. And they certainly are, aren't they? So I yeah, think it's done yeah. what it needed to do in that respect. But, yeah, yeah don't, don't, don't worry about it. You know, it's just a list. That's it. Make your own it. list. Yeah, make your own list. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I think what it is, is I think a lot of people, because you could vote, as many times as you'd like for the same doctor, couldn't you? So a lot of people are saying, oh, the Jodie bots have voted a thousand times for her. And, you know, and I, I part of me do does feel like that might be true. But um, at the end of the day, who cares? Who cares, mate? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Tennant's your fave, isn't he? So he's, you're happy. He's at the top. Uh, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. The, Is he still your well, fave? He's still my fave at the moment. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Matt Smith creeps up very, very well. In, I don't compare modern and classic Who because that's that's very difficult. But in it terms is. of modern Who, yeah, Tennant is still up there. But yeah, he's being chased down very very quickly by Matt Smith. I must be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I I love Matt. I think he probably is my favourite new series Doctor. But again, it changes a lot. You know, I like. I mean, we're reviewing a Tennant story today, and I've got my thoughts on Tennant in this. And yeah, you know I mean, every time you watch a story of a different Doctor, I think you can change your opinion or so i mean i love tom but he's he's really off in underworld for example if you watched underworld and that was the first tom baker story you'd ever seen you'd think he, he was rubbish you know he'd be like well this doctor's really boring he's you know really grumpy and doesn't seem into so you know good and bad isn't it? Yeah. it is <laughs> but, yeah but yeah but, yeah, but yeah. yeah people throwing things at each other ah yeah. twitter spats they were myth that tenant was still voted number one Oh, I'm not surprised by that. A lot of people are annoyed that he always gets voted number one over the years. Can't really see what the problem is there. If you like Tennant, you like Tennant, and that's it. And then the other one was, yeah, a very, very unimpressed people that Jodie came in second, where apparently there's lots of other doctors who are much better than Jodie that deserve to be in the second spot and downwards. So mm. that started a big um, Twitter spat and, and all that. I don't really pay into all that nonsense. But anyway, the list is. From, from 1 to 13, is Tennant, Whittaker, Capaldi, Smith, Tom Baker, Hartnell, McGann, Eccleston, Pertwee, Troughton, McCoy, Colin Baker, Davison. 
no no mention of the war doctor at all. Oh, no so, mention of the roof doctor. The roof doctor. No mention of the billions of other people that could have been the doctor. <laughs> Policeman <pre> doctor. <laughs> in the mm. uh, the timeless child-esque slash canon ripping apart storyline narrative mm. that is everyone's the doctor. So it's a bit of an inaccurate list, really. It is really, isn't it? Yeah, I can just see Colin Baker tearing it up as we speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny though with the tenant thing that it, there, we do have this thing. I don't know if it's just this country or in general, but where we do hate when someone gets popular, we do turn on them, don't we? A lot <laughs> of people like we don't like what's that saying? Popularity breeds contempt. So mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like David because for the sheer fact that he's so loved, which is odd, isn't it? And I think the other side of that is a lot of people. I've noticed there's a lot of love for Jody on Twitter at the minute. Like there seems to have suddenly this sort of fan base is suddenly growing and growing. There seems to be a lot of people that like her just because she's like the underdog at the minute. Like because she gets such a hard time, people are really defending her and sticking up for her. And that's, but, but is that because they like her, or, or is it because no, you know, you're being unfair? It's, so we all it's weird how we sort of turn on some doctors <laughs> and and rally yeah. around others. Like you know, we do love the underdog in the UK, don't we? If, if someone's getting a, a hard time, we do tend to rally round and. Yeah, I've no, I've which is not a bad thing. I just yeah. Well, the thing is with the British public, we like an underdog when stuff's in when stuff's gone on for long enough. And I don't. Yeah, that, yeah. That, there's a. It's really weird because, in 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 the eyes of of British people, there's like an undetermined length of time, and it's just <laughs> called when we've had enough, and that's when we start to favour the underdog. Like it's bizarre. Like if you take the Olympics for example. And the 100 metre dash a few years ago when Usain Bolt, he was like top top dog, wasn't he? He was the one that was doing it. And everyone yeah. still loved it. Everyone still cheered him on. But I, I imagine if he was a lot younger and we would have had another couple of Olympics with him in, it would have got to a point where we were like, no, nope, we're fed up with him now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Time's gone. We've had enough of him now. Now yeah, we want to start cheering for the underdog. And, you yeah. know, that, and I think that sort of happens because obviously when Tennant was the doctor back in whenever it was, 2006 onwards uh, everyone obviously loved him then and then everyone loved him loads after that but now we're starting to see that tide turn we're starting to see that undetermined bit of time that the british public just all of a sudden decides like of a snap of the fingers right now we don't like david anymore and we don't like people that like david anymore now we want yeah. to cheer for jody and all that so ah the old british public is a strange beast it's a strange thing um and the, the reason I find it interesting with Ten though is because I, I what, because of all the Tyler Victoria stuff and all the big finish stuff he started doing, it it does um, a lot of people are feeling like he's overshadowing the current Doctor because he is everywhere and I think that's a danger as well because I'm loving what they're producing with Ten, but yeah there is that danger isn't it of then angering well, you know those people who love JD saying well hang on he was the Doctor years ago why is he getting all this stuff, you know, they, it should, you should be promoting the new Doctor. And I, yeah, I, I kind of get that. As much as I'm loving the sort of, you know, Tyler Victoria stuff and all the big finish stuff David's doing. But that's the thing, it's a danger, isn't it, of oversaturating the 10th Doctor because you, you do then, for whatever reason, start to say, oh, I'm getting bored of him. You know, there's too <laughs> much of him now. Yeah, so it's a Strange. tricky line. It's a tricky line, yeah. Strangeness, mate. Did you watch yeah. him in Des, David Tennant? Have you got around to watching Des yet? No, I haven't, mate. No, no, no. Oh, no. oh he's I heard a, it's good though. Yeah, it's blimming good. Blimmin it's blimmin it is, I'm keeping my language. Out. It's so good, and he's great in it, as you'd, you'd imagine. 
but uh, very yeah very different from the doctor mm. <laughs> obviously but, yeah you need to watch that yeah so yeah that was the poll that sent everybody into either an, a, a lovely sort of virtual hug with other who fans who voted alongside their own point of view or it turned you into an absolute raving lunatic with absolutely no basis for for being angry so that was um uh the week in who from like uh external stuff uh before we crack on with the rest of the show though for 283 Remember to subscribe to our show in whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on. Just do a search for the Big Blue Box podcast, or there are links over on the website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our shows on there. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Again, just do a search for us, all their links on the website. We'd love to have you over there uh, giving us a like and a follow. We'll follow you back. We'll have some chat around Doctor Who. We chat plenty of Doctor Who throughout the week. And we have a free Discord server as well. The link is on the website. And also check out my co-host channel over on YouTube, The Geek's Handbag. Oh, yes. Go have a look at that. The old geekers. The old geek's handbag. Go and crash on the sofa, <laughs> grab a cuppa. Exactly that, mate. Drift off yep. into all my videos, yeah. Exactly <laughs> that, which I often do on a on a Saturday morning. Oh, sweet. Just grab a cuppa and just go through my YouTube subs and then up pops his little face. <laughs> Adam's little face. Oh dear. Ready to rock and roll. So yeah, go and get lost on Adam's channel. Tons of geeky videos there. Go and get lost in all that. We've got some news. We've got some merch coming up. And then we're on to our review of our 10th Doctor. Oh, talking of the, you know, uh, the worst bloody Doctor who wins the polls. (laughs) We've got a 10th Doctor tea party coming up. Yes, Silence Mm. in the Library and Forest of the Dead. It's going to be good until that, dude. You've not to anything who? Uh, yeah, well, a little bit, a little bit this week. So I, I finished up Fury of the De- Fury from the Deep, uh, the animation. I'll, I will review it at some point, so I won't say too much about it. But um, I've moved on to the extras uh, on that now because it's a three disc set, which is uh, really nice. Actually, it's um, you can really tell that they've put a lot of love into it. A bit like you know the Blu-ray sets we've been getting. By the way, when is the next one? Hello. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, it's it's really nice to. Because we're in this barren time at the moment, aren't we? Of no new content, um, it's really good to have that. Um, so I'm trying not to sort of finish it too quickly because there's some really nice extras on it. Um, the one I'm looking forward to, which I'm hoping to watch today, is I think Fraser and a couple of the other cast go back to the beach where they filmed it, and uh, I, I just really like Fraser Hines. I always think he's quite entertaining. He's a real cheeky, funny chap. So I'm looking forward to watching that this afternoon, but. Yeah, I've watched a couple of docs on, documentaries on it. Um, I finished up watching the actual animation. I did the sacrilegious thing. I, I watched it in colour first, which I know I can already hear boos. <laughs> Ooh, boo, hiss. Um, I just fancied watching it in colour because, <laughs> I don't know, I just did. So I'll, I'll probably go back and watch that in black and white at some point um, as well. But so yeah, so I've been finished finishing up that, watching the extras. And uh, the only other thing I've managed to fit in is um, Doctor Who mag this month is cracking. It, it is a fantastic issue this month. Um, it's got a great picture of of, uh, of, of the old Night Doctor, a eh? fantastic on the front. Uh, sorry, that sounded more like um, I don't know who. Sounded uh, like yeah. that guy from the Far Show. Oh, it was brilliant. Oh, it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant issue. Uh, yeah, so I, I've been. Reading that, and it's got like this TARDIS diorama thing that you can build, which I haven't built because I'm just useless at that stuff. But it does also include uh, a Time Lord Victorious thing, which I read yesterday, which is um, 
the Ninth Doctor comic called Monstrous Beauty. Is that what it's called? Monstrous? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty decent. Um, I like that. It, I can't see where it's tying in. So I've read the Tenth Doctor Time of Victorious, right? We spoke about that, that first issue of Time of Victorious. I read that. Okay, so he's with the Daleks and all that. Get that. I read this Ninth Doctor one. I'm thinking, where's? I haven't got to see anywhere where it's tying in yet. I expected there to be a little link. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking this too far ahead. I don't know. But I enjoyed it anyway. I thought that was a good little comic. But um, how this is all going to tie in, I have no idea. I really don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's good. So, yeah, I'd have read that. And, um, yeah, I think there's a new Time of Victorious book out start of October by Stephen Cole, or is that the second one? But I'm looking forward to getting that and seeing if that brings us any closer to sort of bridging these different releases together if you like Mm. um because i'm quite you know me i love collecting stuff and i quite like this idea of having to collect different formats to make up this story but yeah it's not really coming together for me yet but then it's early days so you know see where it goes but yeah read that and um that's been pretty much me done really i haven't really had a chance to do anything Mm. Mm -hmm. to be honest what about you you whacked on any but you haven't listened to a big finish in a while have you no, dude. No, I've not listened to anything yeah. audio wise. No. Any, any McCoy that you've slipped on or what? Uh, uh, no, so we got through, um, we got through a, a, a review copy of, um, I think it's an upcoming McCoy story. I think it's, um, it's a two story set thing. It's something and displacement. Oh, what big finish? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so. That's another thing added to the list. So I've, I still need to listen to Out of Time. Yes, yes, you do. That's which I haven't good, done that's... yet, and then I've got that. So, um, yeah, so I've, I'll probably do that. I might take your a leaf out of your book and do it while I'm doing the ironing or something or <laughs> some headphones on them while I'm yeah. around the house or something like that, I don't know. But, yeah, I've not listened to any Big Finish, dude. I did have the part four of the Time War arrived um the other day and i'm because we were saying weren't we last week on the podcast that we're all we're just a bit bored of the time war so um i don't think i've listened to i think i've only this is the paul mcgann big finish time war i'm talking about i've only listened to the first set i think so i've got three sets of time war on the shelf and listened to so the fourth you know the fourth part arrived and I just opened it and I was like, oh, yeah, time war. I'm not, you know, I'm glad that set's finished because I, I probably would have stopped buying it, to be honest. Um, not that it's bad because it's not. I'm just, there's no real enthusiasm for time war. But it has got Davros on the front, which did mm, generate yeah. my interest a bit more. I was like, oh, McGann and Davros, that sounds, sounds decent. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, I need to listen. I've still only listened to the first part of that. And it was good from what I remember. But God, I probably need to go back and listen to the first <laughs> part. It was so long ago. Yeah, no, read you. I moved on, you see, that's the problem. I started it and then they released like Stranded and that was much more fresh and interesting and I've kind of not gone back to Time War yet. But mm-hmm. yeah. Again's always good on audio. Though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that they threw the, um, uh, you mentioned the Time Lord Victoria stuff. It's interesting that they threw the magazine as, as, in as part of the, the Time Lord Victoria's timeline thing. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. So what was in the magazine that was linked to Time Lord Victorious? Was it a comic strip or something or a story? Yeah, it's a Ninth Doctor comic, yeah. Oh, the comic, Doctor... yeah. yeah. Monstrous yeah, Beauty. A... Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah, it's a good issue this week, I, I mm. must say. Cool, cool. Yeah, the next Massive. thing, yeah, so the next thing for Time Lord Victorious then is the book uh, The Night, the Fall, and the Dead. 
which is out on the 1st of October. Is that the Stephen Cole one, or is that something is that a different one? Uh, no idea. Oh. No, I know he's written one, but I got, it might be the second one. And there is a, there is a big Finnish title of Victoria's coming out October as well, isn't there? there which I think three. is part one. There are, there are three. Bit, uh, big finish things to do with Time Lord Victoria. So on the 7th of October, we've got a short trip, which is called Master Thief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then on the same day, we've got Lesser Evils, which is another one of those short trip stories. And then later on, on the 14th of October, we've got He Kills Me, He Kills Me Not, which is a McGann story. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. I think that's the one with the Ud in the, in the tuxedo. The Ud yeah. in the suit. Sorry, yeah. I believe he's called Brian. Brian, yeah. What a cracking name for an Ood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. I've already seen some merch for Brian the Ood. I saw it on Facebook, on the Bitten Planet, I mean. Yeah, Brian the Ood t-shirts and coasters. Don't forget so, the coasters, mate. Don't forget, really going for it, yeah. Am I going to see you with a Brian the Ood mug? I fear not. Get a bloody coaster. Actually, that, that design that FB did for, for the Ood was actually pretty sweet. Yeah, Are we oh, talking yeah, about yeah. the like nice stylized text and the, oh, it's the glow in the dark one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glow in the dark, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I quite like that, dude. Might, uh, I have a feeling yeah. I'll be seeing it at some point where what we record, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if I can get anything from FP, bloody <laughs> hell, mate! What Don't get me started. Fiasco. Don't get me started. We love FP. We said this many times. We love those guys, but freaking hell, some sometimes. <sighs> I don't know who they use for their distribution and whatnot, but we need a change up, mate. We we need a change over there. Every bloody time. Like, I didn't order anything from FP for months. Like, I don't know, about eight months I didn't order anything because I was just sick to death of, like, putting an order through and then waiting about 10 working days before I get an email to say, oh, we've now processed your order and it's been dispatched. And then wait, wait in another 10, and this was before even COVID. This was before all that stuff. Wait in another 10 days, two weeks, whatever, for it to turn up. Uh, so I ordered some stuff from them a little while ago and bloody hell, the same flipping thing. Like, it's great that they updated their website last year and they updated it all and it's all nice to use and it's all good and brilliant. But then, yeah, same thing, dude. I've waited weeks and weeks for stuff to turn up and then nothing, like part of the order's missing and then you message them and... I don't know, man. So in terms of their shops and their website, can't really fault them, to be honest with you. They're like, you know, love those guys for that. But their distribution and delivery stuff is blood. I don't know, man. It, it burns the bacon, mate. I know, yeah. Because I love, I love their stores, as you know. But that is why I like going into the store <laughs> so I can actually walk out with all the rubbish I buy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah anyway. I'm waiting on something at the minute, actually. That's why I said, don't get me started. I am waiting on the... Because it's fine. I mean, they're great. Once it arrives, you know, they are great, but it's just, yeah, they are quite slow to dispatch. I don't know if they've just got like one, if they've just got like one guy working in the, <laughs> come on, Brian, got another load of orders for you. But maybe it's Brian the Ude working in their distribution. Come on, Brian. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I need some more Udes. The other thing also, and I could be wrong with this, but I think they do a combination of, uh, do they have a warehouse somewhere? Do they have like a, a, a full I... on... I don't know. Warehouse, I'm not sure. But I think they've got that. But also what they do is they they just allocate stock from the various shops as well. So I think like the dudes at the shop, they'll get like a an order come through and it will say something like, all of this stuff is here, but 
the other two items that this person's order is in stock at your shop. So you need to then post it to that. And then we'll post. I think it's something to do with that. I think that slows things down. So I could be wrong, but somebody told me that when we met up with them one time. Do you know, that yeah. would make a lot of sense. Actually, I've never thought about that. That would, yeah, because that could easily add on a couple of days, couldn't it? Mm. They're transferring stocks. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And actually, I can forgive that a little bit because, yeah, you can't really do anything about that, can you? But Where's my stuff? I- yeah basically forget all of this rubbish where's my bloody stuff what is the book you're waiting for it's not doctor who man it's just a couple of spider-man graphic novels oh yes that's it yeah so i went on a bit of a superhero sort of binge thing all some batman stuff and spider-man bits and yeah some of it turned up and then some of it turned up in another package and then some of it just hadn't arrived at all so, I've um, we'll I've ordered that Batman book you recommended from oh, FP. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so I look forward to reading that in a month's time. <laughs> yeah, that'll be... Uh, just give it straight to Fan and get him to wrap it up for Crimbo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, right, we're waffling, aren't we? We're going off. We're going way off yeah. beast here. Anyway, the Time Lord Victoria stuff. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting that they included the magazine. It's like, why not? Let's throw that into the mix as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm, have you pre-ordered any of the books for these yet? Or are you going to pick them up, do you reckon? Uh, no, I definitely will get them. It's actually, I hadn't pre-ordered them because I thought, so FP often do this thing of they, they put them up and then there'll be a signing um, quite close to the release. And I thought there's bound to be a signing for these. So I thought I'll wait and um, and get them because you can normally order them from the website signed. So I thought I'll just wait and see. Um, but I guess with COVID and the way things go, I guess there won't be a signing. So I'll probably just pre-order them next time I do a, an FP order. Cause, um, the, the, that's the other thing with FP is obviously you get charged a fiver postage. So I normally wait till I've got a few things to order so that I don't pay five pounds every time I order something. You see what I mean? So yeah, 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 I will be getting them and I will pre-order them, but, um, I've just been holding off a little bit. That's all mm. in case. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they made the right decision because there's only two, Three. There's only three books in the whole Time Lord Victorious thing, which is yeah, great exactly. because um, I know for a fact if I'd have pre-ordered these books, I wouldn't have read them in time for like when all the other stuff starts tricking along the timeline, you know. it's um, Yeah, it's the same actually. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's seven or eight big finished stuff, which is great. And then there's only a few books. So anyway, Time Lord Victorious, eh? Yeah. Uh, is that you, mate? Is that what you've um, you've been up to? That is me, done. Yeah, I haven't done anything else. I just haven't had the time. <laughs> yeah, I've not done too much, mate. I did watch another Hartnell story because I, I, uh, I loved watching the Aztecs last week. That was good. So this week it's been the Romans. Oh, really? Fabulous. Yeah. God, Hartnell mm-hmm. is in a... I don't know what he's on in that. He's had a quite a few Red Bulls, I think. He's had and he's had a... He's having the time of his life in that story, isn't he? Yeah, he's had all the blue Smarties Yeah. before filming that one and he's... He's all bubbly and all that. So yeah, it's not a bad story that one actually. The Romans, I think. Uh, I think we reviewed yeah. it reasonably, reasonably high. Well, I think I was a little harsh on it actually because I remember um, when the Who Addicts watched it recently, they asked what I thought of it, and I'd recently rewatched it since our review, and I said, "Oh, I really enjoyed it. It was quite fun actually in places. It drags a bit, but I said it was uh, yeah, it's a lot more fun than I remembered." And then I think Liv from the Who Addicts listened to our review and said, "Well, you said it was rubbish on the review," and I was like, "Did I?" <laughs> This goes back to what I'm saying, mate. Opinions change all the time. I don't know why we review stuff. I could love something one week and hate it the next. You know, it's just, yeah, it's the way it is. <laughs> the way it is, mate. 
the thirties. Yeah. But yeah, I did enjoy it last time I watched it. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Quite enjoyed it actually. Nice little four parter doesn't it does drag a little bit, but not too bad. Yeah. I just love Hartnell. I really do. I'm glad he wasn't at the bottom of the list. Because he mm. gets really overlooked, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Alrighty. That's us. Let's do the news, dude. Alrighty. The old Comic-Cons are still going ahead, dude. Oh, wow. Surprising. It is a bit, isn't it? Not like the big ones that we would expect normally, but the the New York Comic-Con and the MCM Comic-Con Metaverse events are still going ahead, but virtually, as you would expect. Can't be running around banging into each other these days. And Doctor Who is going to have a presence at both of these, which is pretty cool. So BBC Studios have announced that two panels will join the already announced Doctor Who Spotlight panel from BBC America, featuring Jodie Whittaker, Mandip Gill and Bradley Walsh, which is cool. So both of these events, they're going to have like a more digital um, focus with uh, all about the fan experience online, apparently. So from October the 8th to the 11th, the MCM Metaverse will exclusively stream free panels Uh, from the New York Comic Con YouTube channel and uh, other leading entertainment brands, which is kind of cool. So you can watch this in, I I think New York Comic Con, they're going to do this, um, their own YouTube, like on the, on their own YouTube channel. Um, They're going to live stream all of their stuff anyway. But then the, the MCM Comic Con metaverse thing, um, you'll be able to watch an exclusive stream of the Doctor Who stuff just through there. And um, so the producer and writer, uh, James Goss, um, he's going to be talking about the making of Time Lord Victorious, which is good. He's going to talk about the the ambitious multi-platform project, how it all came together. And he'll be joined by Joe, Joe Sug, Nick Briggs and Aisha Antoine uh, for a sneak peek of the animated series Daleks! Exclamation points. Uh, which is due out in November. And then we're going to hear more from the cast about what fans can expect uh, throughout that story and what they did for their voiceovers during the um, during lockdown and whatnot. And then also joining the, um, the Comic-Con stuff is um, the Maze Theories exclusive new Doctor Who uh, game, which is launching soon, which will see Ingrid Oliver. Ooh. Uh, uh, be involved in that. So Maze Theory is the company um, who are making the game. So the director, Russ Harding, and the writer, Gavin Collinson, uh, they reveal a new Doctor Who adventure uh, that will form a trilogy of experiences across multiple platform games. Multiple platforms. So the Time Lord Victorious panel, that will premiere on the New York Comic Con YouTube channel on Saturday the 10th of October. And then the Maze Theory panel for that game that will be on Sunday the 11th. And, uh, and there's, a, um, there's a, an MCM Metaverse thing, uh, Facebook page. We'll link to that in the show notes. You can go over there and you can, uh, you can find out when the, the updates are coming from those guys and, and the times for that. So we don't know what time they're going to kick off yet. We just know the dates. But if you head over to that, that Facebook page, it's find, findthemetaverse.com. You'll be able to check that out. So that's kind of a cool event, dude. It's nice to see uh, some of these cons going ahead digitally and so on and virtually, whatever you want to call it. And we've got some Doctor Who presence there, which is cool. 
Yeah. 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 That is nice to see in it. Cause obviously, um, you know, when I think about the sort of glory days of the panels and, you know, when David Tennant used to walk on a place with a rut and I miss all that kind of stuff. It's always nice to see Doctor Who, um, at a convention panel, you know, with the sweet, especially with Jodie and Mandip. Uh, so yeah, that is exciting. Um, Ingrid Oliver, eh? That's cool. Uh, James Goss, he's a, he's a really, I've met James a couple of times. He's a nice guy, but he's very shy. I bet they had to really um, coax him into going onto stage to talk about that. Uh, I know he's quite a shy guy, James, but yeah, no, it sounds, all sounds good, doesn't it? Hmm. It sounds very good, yeah. So I shall, I'll have to tune in and have a look. Because it doesn't say when the Jody channel, are they just going to add that to their YouTube channel? What's that going to be? A... Yeah, it's going to be added, yeah, to that, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, so um, yeah, head over to uh, findthemetaverse.com. That's the website for like the MCM part of it. So I think New York Comic Con and MCM have like teamed up this year uh, to do some of this stuff. So, uh, but you want that one. That's got all of the news updates and what's coming up and whatnot. Uh, so that's the only bit of news we have this week, uh, but we do have one piece of merch to talk through. So uh, let's get cracking with that. Merch corner. Merch corner, merch corner. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. Well, there you are, young man. What do you think of that now, eh? A Viking helmet. I know, it's on the telly. It's everywhere. I don't know that to be impressed or disgusted. I work in a shop now, here to help. I do a Starsky Nuts version. <laughs> 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 right there is a new book on the way dude <laughs> very good there's a new book coming oh we love books and you'll be pleased to know this is not part of the time lord victoria stuff really Gosh. yeah this is, is just anything a, that isn't <laughs> this is just a good old-fashioned standalone book um that's not linked to anything else so and it hasn't got daleks in it either oh, yeah. hooray. so if you want to well, pick this book up it's all good you don't have to listen to a dozen big Finnish stories to get what's going on. You don't have to read comics and, and go to a live event <laughs> and all that stuff. So uh, this is called The Wintertime Paradox. Festive stories from the world of Doctor Who. It's got a very Christmassy cover. It has, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's got yeah. snowflakes on there and it looks very icy and cold, very wintry, very festive. And on the front, it actually says uh, 12 festive tales of Tinsel and Time Lords. Oh. You know that Russell T. Davis came up with that title. <laughs> it, just sound, it just sounds like Russell T. Davis. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Tinsel, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so the incredible stories of Doctor Who, Christmases, past, present and future. Did you know Davros and the Doctor met for three Christmases on different planets across time and space? Have you heard the one about the, uh, the time the Plasmavores came to pay a festive visit? This thrilling anthology presents a fantastic collection of adventure through time and space, featuring the best-loved characters and places from the Doctor Who world. The perfect stories for the bleakest and sometimes brightest time of year, these festive, thrilling and often moving tales make the ideal gift for Doctor Who fans and young sci-fi lovers alike. So Dave Rudden is a former actor, teacher and time-displaced Viking, currently living in Dublin. He is the author of the award-winning Knights of the Borrowed Dark trilogy and enjoys cats, adventure and being <laughs> cruel to fictional children. A lifelong Doctor Who fan, Dave is also author of 12 Angels Weeping. This sounds like the author is uh, a bit of a Christmas nut. Yeah. 
It does. Yes. But he likes cats, so he's all right with me. He likes, he's a cat dude, so yeah, yeah, not too bad. So this is out on the 15th of October. It's going to come out as a hard cover initially. I imagine it will be a paperback at some point in the future. Uh, and the hardcover will set you back around 10 of your British pounds. There's a Kindle edition as well. That's eight ninety nine, uh, And I imagine it will be out globally as well, like whatever country. You won't be able to pick that up. Uh, and it's coming on the 15th of October. You can pre-order it now from Amazon and some other people and whatnot. Uh, this float in your boat, dude, or no? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a nice little stocking feather, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's all right. I just noticed that the side man on the front cover's only got one arm. Yeah, or is that just... In fact, it looks like he's only got one leg, one sort of foot as well. What's going on there? Or is he just appearing through something? No, he's know. definitely got his foot missing and part of his arm. Right. Yeah. Right. And it looks like one of his eyes is a bit... He looks like he's been on the Christmas sauce. Yeah, he's had he? a rough night, isn't he? Well, is that... Maybe that's <laughs> Boxing Day. And he... <laughs> that's definitely Boxing Day morning. Yeah. Bursting yeah. in through the door, 8 a.m., still still bladdered, ruining Christmas for everybody. Yeah. Which reminds me, I must watch um, <laughs> the, the last Matt Smith Christmas special again sometime, because I've only ever watched that once when I was absolutely plastered on Christmas uh, evening. <laughs> <laughs> I always think, yeah, I must watch, what's it called? Time of the Doctor. Because we haven't reviewed it either, have we? Time of the Doctor, no, we haven't. No. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I can't believe I've never gone back and watched that. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Nice Christmas filler, mate. Uh, but yeah, I've got quite a lot of books at the minute, so it's not top of my list, but it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. The cover reminds me of another Who book that was out in the that Angels same sort one. of style. Was it the Angels one? I think they've got the same artist to do the cover. It looks Well, the, the font as well and stuff. Hold on, what was it? Uh... It does look, yeah, I did think the same thing when I saw it, yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Have you got oh, it? Was, you? was it? Yeah, it looks like um, there was a book out called Time Lord Fairy Tales. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It looks like the same style design. So because they've done that, I'm going to have to get it now. So it sits next to the other one. Next to it, that's right. They're not stupid over there, are they? See, I didn't buy the fairy tales one, so I'm safe. I oh, can buy right, it. Yeah. yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. It's unusual, isn't it? Me not to buy something. A little bit. Yeah. Maybe I was hoping someone would get it me for Christmas and they didn't. Yeah. There we go. The Wintertime Paradox. Festive stories from the world of Doctor Who out in October. And if you don't want it, but you know someone who is a Doctor Who fan, that's your Christmas sorted. Sorted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's it for news and merch. Nothing else there. Now, review time. What have we got, dude? Yeah, so 10th Doctor story this week, because we can't get enough of 10. <laughs> and uh, this is from Series 4 with Donna Noble, and it's um, a two-parter, Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead. Almost every species in the universe has an irrational fear of the dark, but they're wrong. Because it's not irrational. It's Vashta Narada. Right. For God's sake, run. Run! Everybody careful, stay in the light. Not everyone comes back out of the dark. Every shadow? No. But any shadow. I'm the Doctor, and you're in the biggest library in the universe. Look me up. They won't attack until there's enough of them. And they've got our scent out. They're coming. 
planet's gonna crack like an egg. Daddy! No, Daddy! These are our forests. Who are you? He hasn't met me yet. Don't play games with me. These are our forests. Hey, who Not... turned out the lights? <laughs> you need to say that three or four more times. Yeah. Hey, who turned out the light? You've got to say exactly the same way as well. Yeah. <laughs> Gary cool trailer, that one. has left the library. The library. Gary has... Aylott <laughs> has left the library. <laughs> he has not been saved. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry to tell you, he's not been saved. <laughs> right. Silence in the library and Forest of the Dead, the first one. Silence, that was broadcast back in 2008 on the 31st of May. And then the next one was broadcast on the 7th of June. Same year, obviously. They wouldn't keep you waiting a whole year for the second one. Oh, be crazy. They were both written by The Mothball. They were directed by Euros Lin, uh, overseen by Helen Rayner. Stars David Tennant, Catherine Tate, Dr. Donna. Alex Kingston as Professor Riversong. Mm. And then a reasonably small supporting cast. Well, potentially huge if you count the Vashta Narada, but yeah. humans, it's uh, fairly small. And uh, the kind of synopsis for these are the 10th Doctor takes Donna to a planet-sized library in the 51st century. They find it empty of human life with countless other Living beings, an information kiosk warns them to count the shadows. Ooh. Ooh. That's so cool. An archaeological expedition arrives, led by the mysterious River Song, who brings the cryptic last message sent from the library. 4,022 saved, no survivors. And then it follows on with um, Donna has gone. So this is part two now. She's been, she's gone somewhere. The Vashta Narada are out for fresh meat and the Tenth Doctor is running out of options. Can he trust the mysterious River Song, a woman who claims to be from his future? Why would his future self have given her his sonic screwdriver or tell her his real name? Even if they do work together, can anyone stop the shadows from claiming them all as their next meal? So this two-parter, bud. Um, yeah, I've wanted to review this one with you for ages. Mm. So what have you got for these two? I love this two-parter. <laughs> I absolutely, I just think it's brilliant from start to finish. I really, it's up there as one of my favorite stories um, of Doctor Who. I think it's brilliant. Um, I think the mothball is, is being really uh, brave in what he, he did back then. Um, I can. I don't know what Russell thought of this when the script landed on his desk, and how much involvement Russell had in overseeing it, and because he used to sort of pitch ideas, didn't he? And say, I have a feeling. I, I don't know, but I th- probably Russell just said, "Oh, let's set one in the library." Go, and the Moffat came up with this. It's it's clever. The the script is sparkling with Moffat dialogue. It's it's, it's Moffat is best, I think. Um, one of his best, anyway. Um, and I, the thing is, when it first aired back in 2008, I remember enjoying it, but um, finding it a little confusing. Like the whole River Song thing obviously doesn't, we, we don't really find out who she is by the end of it. We just know that she knows the Doctor. And 
So although I enjoyed it back on first transmission, um, I have watched this a few times since, and I have found it so rewarding rewatching this, which is something that doesn't always happen with Stephen Moffat stories. Um, you know, quite often I think he, one thing I love about Stephen is that he's always brimming with ideas. I think in Stephen Moffat's scripts, they've always got great ideas in them. He doesn't always pull them off. And I think he'd be, you know, he'd be the first to admit that some things worked better in his stories than others, in, you know, especially in his era as, as a showrunner. Um, but yeah, I think this one, the script is sharp as a pin. The performances from the cast are great. The story, although a little slow in places, um, keeps me gripped. I'm really invested in what's going on in the story. So there are bits where it slows down and there are bits where I think, you know, yeah, they're just talk there's a lot of talking going on in the same room. But I, I don't find it boring at all. I, I really, really enjoy this, as I said, from start to finish. And um, yeah, it's up there as one of my favourites. I think it's a great, great two-parter and, uh, and a really great script from Stephen Moffat. Really great. It, it, it does give a lot of questions. He always does that. But, um, but unlike sort of Day of the Moon or whatever it was called, that just is two parts where it's endless questions where you don't get any answers. So this one, although it doesn't answer everything, it, it still works incredibly well as a story. And I, yeah, I, I really like this one. Really like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Over to you, your fave doctor. What do you reckon? Yeah. This, Highly regarded story. Yeah, Does it live up to it? Yeah, absolutely, man. This is up there for me. Yeah. This is like, this is the like gem. peak doctor who for me, Ooh. bud. This is, um, in terms of you've just got everything firing on the the only criticism. Let's get this out of the way early, and you've just brought it up yourself. Is that it can feel a little bit slow in a couple of places. Yeah, yeah. But that's pretty much it. I mean, this is everything is firing on all cylinders here. You've got you've got the moth bag who's just not got the weight of being showrunner on his shoulders. So he's just concentrating on the story, and he, it's a brilliantly written story as well. It is, yeah. Very, very yeah. cool. It's great got, concept. Yeah, great concept. Um, the introduction of River, I suppose, which was a real big kind of, oh, God, is this going to work? Because it it is, well, it can be perceived as confusing, I guess, to a degree. So it's a bit of a risk to throw that in there. Would fans get that? Would they, or would it be like a massive talking, which it ended up being at the time, I believe. Uh, you've got RTD overseeing everything, so he's like adjusting little bits, like Moff. I'm not sure about this. Let's try this and blah blah blah. So it ends up just being this really cool story. And David Tennant is brilliant in this one. He is fantastic in it. Really good. Just gonna say that straight away. Yeah. yeah, Catherine Tate. She's really good in it. Very very cool. She's amazing in it. Actually, mm. she's absolutely up there with David. If not, she just ah oh, can't say speak highly enough of her in there. She's amazing in it. Yep, you've got Alex Kingston who hasn't reached that sort of annoying phase yet. She's um, <laughs> she's got because she spends most of the episode quite worried about the Doctor, worried about his reaction, really stunned and taken back that he doesn't know who she is yet. because she, she sent the note out for, for him to come and and rescue or get involved in this, and a much earlier version of the Doctor turns up than she was expecting. So. The fact that he doesn't know her yet, they haven't met in his eyes anyway, that really knocks her for six. And then she's really worried about what's going on and everything. So she doesn't have all of that kind of over-the-top flirty bants that we have with Matt Smith Doctor yet. So she's kind of 
she's actually pretty good in this one. Yeah. And, uh, and then we have, um, a great score for Murray Gold. Like I put oh. that in capitals on my notes. It was, uh, yeah. You know, we've, we've said the last couple of weeks, it's like, what's going on with music in Doctor Who? Like we've, I don't know if it's just where well, it must be. It's just, you know, luck of the draw with the stories we've, we've picked, but we've said, yeah, the story's been okay. Not too bad. Oh, the score, sorry. Like, uh, Dudley Simpson stuff recently that we've reviewed. It's been okay, but nothing amazing. Some of the stuff in, uh, modern Doctor Who, we said, yeah, Murray Gold, it's, it's there. But for some reason, this one, it's just got a really good mixture of like, a kind of actiony music, but it's also got this really nice haunting kind of melody that kicks in sometimes and just oh, that's like the goosebumps moments and stuff. And yeah, honestly, dude, it's just such a great, great story from who, and this is like, for me, I remember when I was first getting into Doctor Who, admittedly a few years back now, and I'd gone through Eccleston's era and loved it. Um, but I didn't binge watch it. I watched like maybe an episode or two every few days. It took me a few weeks, you know, to watch through. But I remember when I was coming on to David Tennant stuff, I just binge watched all of his stuff so close together. Mm. So for me, this was like, yeah, it, it, as I was going through series four, coming up to like the end of, of Tennant's run, I suppose, is like the latter part of his run. I'd just been walloped time after time by his performances, these great stories in the RTD era. So this is up there, dude, for like, yeah, even some things that are not even, like the scene towards the end where um, he he snaps his fingers to open up the TARDIS, just like the yeah. way that all that stuff is done. It's it, the direction there is yeah, superb. Yeah. Freaking awesome, man. And then um, like those scenes earlier on where, so that there's kind of two parts to it, really, from from the Doctor's perspective. You've got the whole situation that's going on with the Vashta Narada and trying to keep these other people alive and just trying to figure out what's going on. Like, who is this Cal character? Who What's going yeah. on with, you know, why is everybody missing from this planet-side library and all that stuff? So you've got him doing, like, classic Doctor stuff. Like, he's being detective, he's being saviour, he's being all that stuff. But then bolted onto the side, you've got this thing where he's like, who the hell is this woman that's turned up? And why has she got a sonic screwdriver? And how? And then the scene where she tells him uh, his name, she whispers it, and it's just this... Oh, yes, you know, that scene. And then from that point on... It's his then, face, mate. His when face, you still yeah. talk about how good David is, mm-hmm. he's, that scene is a perfect example of, his, of him not even doing anything just a pure acting and the facial expressions oh you just look at everything amazing yeah because it, it yeah. totally sells that scene you know we don't even know what she's saying it's just his reaction it's like uh, omg <laughs> like yeah. what's going on he's yeah. terrified he just can't believe what he's just heard it's um that's that's acting <laughs> i mean that is proper acting <laughs> yeah. yeah it's amazing and then you've got um the the monsters in this one are really good the vashta narada narada yeah really creepy and the way that they sort of juxtaposition that monster that you can't see, but then with the the people in the suits and the skeleton faces and yeah, man, it's, it's, everything is just mixed together beautifully for a, for a story for Doctor Who. It's yeah. Yeah. It's up there, man. And that's what I mean about Stephen. I mean, yes, you know, we can bash Stephen for some of the stuff and he bashes himself for some of the stuff that he wrote and did and choices he made. 
But you watch this and God, the ideas that are brimming in this script of like, you know, the, just the, the thing of the shadows, for example, you know, count the shadows, you know, how many, how many shadows have you got? I mean, it's such a creepy idea. Like, where did he get that from? It's, it's fantastic. You know, um, there's loads, it's just loads of stuff in it. I mean, the stuff of River Song as well, I, it totally works. Um, the fact that she knows the doctor, but he doesn't know her again, such a simple idea. It's amazing. It's never been done before, but brilliant, you know, cause it, the whole way through you're waiting for answers and he gives you little bits. Typical moth will give you a little, he'll drop a little breadcrumb. You know, you'll suddenly see the river's diary that looks like a TARDIS. You're like, what, hang on, what's that? And just when you get in over that, she produces a version of the doctor's Sonic, which looks awesome. I love river Sonic. Um, and so you're like, hang on, she's got a Sonic and, She's like, yeah, you gave it to me. And the doctor's just like, what on earth's going on? And you're, it, as I said, it's just, the script is just brilliant. Um, I would love, I know he won't do it, but I'd love Moffat to do a sort of writer's tale book like RTD because I would like to know his, when I'm watching this, I just want to know what's going on in his head. Did he have a grand master plan? Like, what was he thinking when he wrote the character of River? Was he, did he know where he was going to take the character or, or was it going to be a one-off? Like, I'd love to know what was going through Moffat's mind when he actually wrote this. And I'd love to know what Russell thought of it. Like when he came to him and said, yeah, I've introduced this character, but I'm not going to explain her by the end of this story. Um, you know, and she knows the doctor, but he doesn't know her. And, you know, did Russell think, well, okay then. Or did he just say, yeah, go for it. Let's do it. You know, I think it's, as I said, when I called it a brave script, I think, it was brave of Russell to just believe in it and and get it produced. And I think it was brave of the Moffat to just throw this stuff at the the viewer and know in his head that it, it you know it was going to work. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. But Murray's music, just so I just so I don't forget, absolutely agree with you. I wrote that as well. Um, the music score is fantastic. Is it? It sometimes we've accused Murray of going on autopilot a little bit. Um, sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, they're running down, especially in the Matt Smith area. Yeah, they're running down a corridor. So we need the doctor's theme here. This one, you can tell he's absolutely, uh, read the sort of going with what's on the page of the script. So there's little moments. Like if you listen carefully, you'll notice like the doctor's theme comes in, in a scene with river really briefly. So she mentioned something and you hear the ninth doctor's Oh, mixed in just for like two seconds. And like, so Murray is absolutely hitting it, you know, what needs to be there. Um, and there's also a bit where it sounded a bit like the, the tomb of the Cybermen music. I've never noticed this before. So it's like big boombastic drums that are echoed. So yeah. it's like, doo, 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 doo. and I was like, I don't know how I've never noticed that piece of music before. Mm -hmm. It's really retro. And my God, it's absolutely brilliant piece of music totally brings the scene alive um so yeah murray i i just absolutely hitting the hitting every note in this yeah, superb there was, there was a couple of scenes as well where it almost felt like he was it, it felt like a precursor to the matt smith era there was a, a couple of scenes where the music felt very matt smithy but not yeah. too much um so this i the, swear i almost heard an early version of i swear i heard yeah. a sort of a or something exactly. like that. Hang on, yep, yep. there's a little bit of Matt creeping in. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. scene where they go into one of the rooms in the library, and the Doctor's just sort of running around the edge, looking underneath the tables with his Sonic, and trying to spot the where the Vasha Narada are. And it's, there's that scene where, yeah, the, it almost sounds like Matt Smith's era of music, 
mm. but it's not quite there yet. It's it's almost it's like Murray's kind of thinking around like newer bits of music to include. Um, but obviously, as we're getting really close now, up to the end of Tenants, the end of his era, and getting on to um, Stephen Moffat's era or Matt Smith's era, sorry, it's um, you can tell that he's already thinking about some newer directions to take the music on because he just dips his toe in the water with it. There's like a couple of scenes where it does obviously sound like series four and tenants era, but just a few little bits thrown in just like little nuggets of, of music. And then you said it kind of mixes that with some older influences as well. Like that. I didn't pick up on either that tomb of the Cybermen kind of vibe in a couple of scenes. And yeah, yeah, he's, he's trying lots of different. That's the thing I think, because it's a two-parter. He's trying. There's a lot of different musical styles in this. So you've got the sort of almost more modern uh, bit. That, so when there's a slower scene, you get that sort of doom, doom, doom bass line. Then there's a bit where all the books are flying across the library, and it sounds almost like Harry Potter. It's like full-on string, doom, 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 mm-hmm. you know, magical stuff. And then you've got the stuff of River, which is like the Doctor's theme. It loads in the, like the Tomb of the Cybermen type drums that I mentioned that sound very retro. There's loads of different styles of music in this. It doesn't feel like, um, like I said, sometimes the story feels a bit like he's on autopilot, like you get the Doctor's theme and then you get a bit of this. And you've heard it a million times before. It's almost like he's throwing in a whole album <laughs> of different songs. It's, yeah, it's a superb soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I made me think I must dig it out. I must must get this. Um, I've got the physical, but I must download it to my phone so I can listen to it on the train because I just loved it. Love the music in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, Murray, mm-hmm. yeah, getting a getting a good, yeah, yeah, earning his scores. earning his wages this week, wasn't he? Yes, that's it. Earning his yeah. wages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you think to the story overall then? Because we mentioned that some of it is quite confusing. So there are two elements that. It could be confusing until you've watched, obviously, the whole thing, but then one subject just goes on for a while in Doctor Who, which is River. So the first thing, like I said, you had this whole situation, and that on its own was relatively um, confusing to a degree because you had the little girl who we thought was based in our world, in the real world. It turns out that wasn't true at all. But she seems to be controlling what's going on in the library while the Doctor's there. So we had that whole thing. And then when Donna when Donna goes and the little girl saved Donna puts her in her, in the hard drive essentially. Um, but just creates like Donna's world becomes essentially like a dream world. Doesn't it? Everything happens in like weird time and stuff like that. Love that bit. Yeah. yeah. It's all great. But that's kind of confusing. Cause you're thinking, where is she? Where exactly is Donna? We don't really know. And how does that link into the little girl? And then we have that other character, Dr. Moon. He sort of pops up throughout the whole story. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, uh, so he's quite confusing and that was also cool. Remember when Moff did that, um, when Moff did the live stream thing with RTD and then dropped that bombshell that Dr. Moon yep. was actually the doctor. Yes. And this is, this is the first time I've watched this since he said that. So it was in my mind all the way through and it totally works. Yeah. I, can, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter if you, it's never made explicit on screen it doesn't have to be the Doctor, but if you want to believe, like the Moffat does, that it was the, a future Doctor, I think he said, didn't he? Uh, yes, right, yeah. He said, um, yeah. yeah, he said, uh, so Russell was like, oh my God, I can't, because Moff had forgotten. To tell him. That, that he had, <laughs> the, well, he had forgotten that he wrote all that prose and everything in the, in the script and everything, and Russell's like, how could, 
Like I, Russell says, I'd never forgotten that whole Dr. Moon thing. It's like really clever. Yeah. And he says, every time I watch that story, I think that's him. That's him. That's the doctor. And nobody knows. Because Yeah. yeah, And it's crazy because like you said at the very beginning, the moth has just got this melting pot of ideas that is just Mm. overflowing with all this cool stuff. And none of us knew, none of us knew about like, you know, the degree that he went to, to layer up all of these different things. So in a way though, like I said, it could be deemed as a little bit confusing, but I think once you've watched both parts beginning to end, I think you kind of get what's going on. You realize, cause there's a bit, there's a scene where Dr. Moon's talking to the girl and he's sent the dad away and he's like, look, listen to me. Everything I've told you is a lie. Everything that's in your head, in your dream is the real world. It's a bit of a matrix moment. And it's like everything that's happening yeah. here, you know, is, is kind of make believe and stuff. So we kind of get an inkling like, oh, okay, like some, like this little girl's not actually in our current time, current world or the rest of it. And it's not until part two, as you get through that story that you're like, oh, okay, it's the little girl. She's the one that, because it transpires that the, um, the family, that, that guy who's with the party with Ritha Song, that is that guy who's trying to protect because the doctor's angry with him at first. He thinks he's trying to protect his company and his patent, but what he's actually doing is protecting a little girl who's embedded in the system in the hard drive. And um, yeah, so you don't, you don't find that out until much later on in part two, but so it could be confusing. And then, like I said, you've got that river song stuff. So in typical moth fashion, it kind of branches off a little bit and goes off on a tangent almost. And then they bring it back in towards the end. So really good storytelling. I did. I did think. I do remember at the time finding it a bit confusing. I think not. Not to the extent of like, you know, like I'm talking about when I very first watched this when it first aired. I don't think I totally got the story, but I knew that I enjoyed it. If that makes sense, like it wasn't one of those. I was just like, well, that was just a you know, you know, it wasn't a Husbands of River song where I just didn't have a clue what was going on because it is clever. But I think sometimes Moth tries to be too clever. But I think in this, he got the balance right. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think it took a couple of watches. I don't know how that translates to a casual viewer. Like I think for, for me, this is classic doctor who it's, it's, it's got great sci-fi elements. It's brilliant. Um, it's got brilliant ideas in it. The cast are great. So, so I don't know, but to a casual viewer, would they watch this and get confused quite possibly? But then I think that applies to a lot of great doctor who, where you have to concentrate. My, my partner came in 10 minutes before the end of the episode. And I can honestly say it was just, I wouldn't say sort of gripped or anything, but it certainly, um, he just sat and started watching, you know, it's like, oh, it piqued his interest straight away, even though he's seen this before. And it was, um, actually it was probably about five minutes towards the end. It was the ending with the diary and you think it's all wrapping up. I mean, it's such a beautiful ending, but the do- doctor puts the diary and the Sonic on the, ledge of the library because i kept thinking well don't leave it there someone will come and find find it you know that's, that's dangerous but but then you think the store is wrapping up it's panning in on the diary and then he runs back and grabs it and it's just like there's this other scene where he goes and sort of sort of saves donna puts you know realizes he's still got the relay and the sonic what a brilliant ending I, I mean as i said even i i've seen this probably four or five times at least even i sort of was like oh yeah of course he comes back doesn't he you know, so it has got something, this story, I think, which would, even if you were a casual viewer and you weren't understanding what's going on, I think there's a heart to it. It's got um, emotion to it 
in scenes like that, which is enough to keep, you know, viewers watching, I think, even if you're not a hardcore.2 fan that's followed every inch of this story, you know, because I saw it right in front of my eyes. Fan was like um, getting involved in the emotion of the story, the fact he was going to save, he thought of a way to save Riversong and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I just love that end scene as well. And I think, if anything, I... I love part one, but I think I like part two slightly more, which is unusual because I, I think normally with stories, part one sets everything up and has all the good stuff and part two kind of has to wrap it all up. For me, part two, I just love all the stuff with Donna. Like, it's really creepy, the stuff when the the woman with the strange face. I mean, that scene alone is brilliant. Because mm-hmm. Catherine Tate, man, <laughs> she's like, and she's like, why are you wearing that stupid veil? She's really going for it in her performance, isn't she? It's it's superb. And, you know, and then the woman's like, these kids, they're all the same, haven't you noticed? And it's so creepy. I mean, the bit where she gets snatched from the TARDIS where the Doctor thinks he saved Donna, and she screams, that's proper horror, mm-hmm. you know? So I love all that stuff in the in the ulterior world. And, and the thing with the stuff with Doctor Moon, I think is brilliant where he keeps saying, and then you remembered, you know, the way he says it's so calm <laughs> and she's jumping from location to location. And she's sort of picking up that she's just said the word and suddenly she's there, but she can't quite get her head around it. I think all that stuff's brilliant. Um, then the doctor appears for a split second and she sees him and remembers him. But then the doctor moves like, but then you forgot. And it's, she's back to know it, it. It's just brilliant stuff. You know, and it's it's all in that second part as well. So, you know, it's great that the moth had enough to keep this two parter totally going. I think for the whole two parts, he keeps bringing new stuff in to keep you invested. There are a couple of slow moments. You're right, uh, but I think most of them are in part one when he's sort of setting up the story. So there's a few scenes where, you know, there's sort of, I would say tension rather than slow. There's a couple of scenes where the shadows are creeping in. And it, it does slow. The pacing definitely slows down in a couple of those scenes. But um, but I, 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 as I said, I, I still found it quite engaging. I was still quite invested in what was happening. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's mostly part one, I think. Yeah. No, I'd say so. Yeah, you're right. Part two. Um, uh, it, it definitely does throw in some additional curveballs and keeps the story going. So that whole thing with Donna trapped in the, not trapped, but placed into the into the hard drive and stuff and, from her perspective, it is like a dream, isn't it? And that's what's so effective yeah. about how that was how that was done because kids bits heartbreaking, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it does it the way it's put together, it does feel like that's what happens in dreams as well. Like you don't nothing happens in real time in a dream. Like mm. you you do flip between locations and different things and yeah. So it it was done really well that bit. It was um and like you said, Catherine Tate's performance, she was really, really good. Because she was good up to that point. She does play the sort of concerned companion kind of role very well. And and she is very good. She's typical Donna. She has like a funny, couple of funny one-liners and stuff. And, you know, it's all good. Like when River shows up and, and then there's a couple of things where River's like, oh, pretty boy. Yes. And, and he's like, oh, me. He looks at Donna and she's like, hmm. And uh, so, the, you know, there's things so like that. Of course it's you. Know. you. Yeah. Uh, so she's cool. But then after she gets taken and she gets placed on hard drive from then on, she, her performance just goes up like 10, like 10 notches, man. She just, she's, she's so confused mixed with so happy. Like she's happy that she's got a husband and kids and life seems to be all nice and stuff. 
But then at the same time, she has these moments, like you said, where she'll think of something or something's pointed out and she just turns instantly. And then Dr. Moon will say like, and then you forgot. And then she's back like straight away. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's all good. So that, all, that whole, those, all of those scenes where she's in, where she's um, in her, in her mind, that sort of dream sequence. It's, it, it's really, really good. Her and um, Catherine and David are a brilliant, brilliant double act. And I think it really shows in this story. Um, right from the get go, the, the humor between them is, is absolutely on point. It's not over the top or cringy. You know, the way they rip up the contracts in sync together. Her, yeah, like that scene you mentioned where she's like, oh, that came out a bit quick when she calls him pretty boy. So, and there's lines like where she says, did we just run away from a power cut? You know, stuff like that. As I said, great script from Moffat and Catherine delivers it brilliantly. Her and David are so good together. I, I find the scene at the end quite emotional when he clicks his fingers and then the, tar- the camera slowly zooms in on the Doctor and Donna in the TARDIS. And you just think, you look at those two together and you think, God, what a, to me, they are right. Um, yeah, no, I am going to say this because I, I think I do love them so much together. I, I think they're up there with Tom and Liz. I just love that what David and, mm-hmm. and Catherine together. I think they work brilliantly. They're um, great. Yeah, they are the, great. Yeah, the, the chemistry between the two of them is, is, is absolutely spot on. Um, but there are some other lovely lines as well. When, when, when the Doctor's trying to describe what's happening with the relays, because that's the bit I think I found confusing the first time I watched this. I was like, so are they, they are dead, but they're sort of still trapped in this, you know, this light's going out. And he describes it as a, a footprint on the beach with the tide coming in. I mean, come on, Stephen, that is, <laughs> that alone yeah. is just a beautiful bit, bit of writing from Stephen Moffat. Mm. Um, and David delivers it brilliantly. But we get quite angry David Tennant in this as well. We get angry Ten, And sometimes we've said he can be a bit shouty when he gets angry. For me in this story, the rage is spot on. Um, he does get shouty, but my God, you feel the rage of Tennant. And I think it was in the trailer you just played when he's like, I'm the doctor, you're in a library, look me up. I, whoa. Mm-hmm. When he comes out with lines like that, uh, David delivers 100%. And this is why I say that the more I watch David, the more I appreciate how good he was. Because I think I fell into that trap of thinking he was a bit too human and a bit too popular. And, oh, yeah, David's all right, but... And then I watch stuff like this. I'm like, no, man, he's he's brilliant as the Doctor. He really is. You totally believe he gets a great balance of being in control, but not knowing how he's going to save the day. So you kind of know he will, but he, you know, he gets a good balance between doing the action and and the other stuff. So yeah, absolutely superb performance from David and Catherine in this. Yeah, brilliant together. Yeah, in fact, this this part of season uh, season ugh, this part of series four is actually a complete belter, mate, of Doctor Who, because you've got this two-parter, which is just fantastic. And then following on from that, next week you've got two, you've got a, a, a companion light episode. You've got Midnight. Midnight, yeah. And where David is just brilliant in that. And then the following week you've got Turn Left, which is a Doctor light story oh, all about Donna. So you've got four yeah. episodes of Doctor Who, which are just unbelievably uh, we've reviewed them all, so it's all good. But um, uh, yeah, it's funny because Midnight's the one I didn't like. I hated Midnight the first time I watched it. No, I didn't hate it. That's exactly. I did not enjoy Midnight the first time I uh, watched it when it very first aired. But I thankfully went back and rewatched it, and uh, it's a gem. I don't know what I, what I saw the first time, but I, it's such a great story. 
Yeah. Um, and, and turn left again, one of my favorites, a brilliant Donna mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. You're right. This is a great series, series four. Really yeah. is good. Who but, knew that Catherine Tate would be so good? Right. I mean, right. I, you know, I'll hold my hand up. I liked her in Runaway Bride, but when she was announced for Donna's Companion, I was like, oh no, that's not going to work. She's too shouty. She's, she's playing one of her characters from a sketch show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've eaten my word since. She's, my favourite companion from the new series, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got a um, she's got a wonderful way of uh, uh, Catherine. So she's got a wonderful, wonderful way of um, just being like an ordinary. Like she's so relatable. That's the good thing about she her character. She says what we would say, doesn't she? Exactly. Yeah, she's yeah, got this yeah. really good way of of just being. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way. She's just got a really good way of being normal. Like mm. she's like the. Uh, like the everyday woman, you know, unemployed some of the time, unlucky in love. Yeah. Oh, the ending. You know, uh, the guy yeah. was a stutter. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, he was. I. Oh, that she looked for him as well. Talking about it. Yeah. He's there. And oh. she looked for him as well. Like everyone's like mingling around, and she comes up to oh. doctors like, "Oh, I can't find him." And then she he sees her walking around the corner, and he tries to talk, but he's got the stammer and. Oh, heartbreaking yeah, Donna. Exactly, mate. So she's unlucky in love. She's a normie sort of thing. And uh but then she also has these wonderful moments where she kind of keeps the doctor on track a little bit. You know, mm. this is kind of there's a few scenes where you can see that if the doctor was on his own, things would turn out slightly differently. But she kind of reins him in a little bit a couple of times. She reminds him, you know, you this is not the way we, you know, you would do things sort of thing. She kind of keeps him in check a little bit a couple of times. And, um, and that's just, it's just one, like Russell, come on, man. You've got to admit that the Russell T Davis era of Doctor Who has served up some of the best ever stories from Who. I'm, I'm, I'm including classic in that as well. For, for me personally, yeah. yeah, there's some absolute belters during this year. And, and a couple of them are written by Stephen. Yeah, exactly, uh, under the RTD, yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, one of my favourites, but apart from this, you know, um, the Doctor Dances and Empty Child is another favourite story of mine. Part of the ways Bad Wolf is one of my absolute favourites ever. I love that two-parter, all under the RTD era. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is and this is another just belter that I think fits in with those. Yeah, you know, that I would I would class as some of my favourite ever Doctor Who. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yes. Um, what did you think about the look of this? Because it, it's uh, so it's over twelve years old, thirteen years old even, is it? No, twelve. Sorry, uh, two thousand eight. CGI, I thought stood up pretty well. Um, like because the very first shot pretty much is of the library city, and we also get a bit of blue screen where they're stood on the sort of the balcony looking out, and there's a bit where David drops through the floor and he's, you know, hanging from the rafters in this sort of. So there's there is a few bits of CGI in this, but. For me, I thought it looked great for the time, and it didn't look too dated. And even if it did look a bit dated, it, it had a you know it w- worked for the story. So, but the production-wise, mm. I thought this was very good. I thought it re- the whole episode looked really nice, beautifully directed by Euros Lin. I mean, we mentioned the TARDIS scene there, but yeah, it's beautifully directed. But did you think the CGI stood up all right in this? I did for the most part. Yeah, they yeah. like the scenes, the external shots where you see, like you said, the whole the surface of the planet as the library and the big city and stuff. That was all really good. There was a, there was only a couple of scenes where I thought 
Yeah, even like time hasn't saved it because it didn't look that great back in the day. And it's really bizarre because they weren't extravagant CG shots, but it was just where the Doctor and Donna were standing in a corridor and they extended the corridor far beyond what it presumably was like on set. And that looked very ropey. I I don't think they got the colour grading quite right or or the sharpness quite right. It looked really blurry compared to um, the other CG shots and it just didn't quite fit like the foreground of where they were sort of in set versus like the background and stuff. So other than that, though, um, yeah, for a 12-year-old TV show with fairly modest budget, it was... It does hold up pretty well, and there's a couple of um, there's a couple of scenes that, on paper, you would have thought, "Crikey, that's going to look awful in mm. CG," but they actually looked alright. So there's a scene where the Doctor dives down like this sort of turbo lift thing, and he's like yes. head first diving down. That yeah. doesn't actually look too bad. No, it time. doesn't. Yeah, but no, I, I thought that it could have been disastrous. I can imagine Russell sort of looking at that thinking, how are we going to do that? Yeah, like, yeah. And there's the, no, other, right. the other scene where they really zoom out and you see like the library city and you just see these, you see them like running between buildings and these like corridors made of glass, basically. Mm. That could have looked terrible as well. But that again, didn't look too bad. So for the most part, the, it's all right. The design of the city, I think helps because it, you, you almost imagine that being a painting, don't you? That the hmm. design of the would you call it a citadel or it's the a, library? Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, it's just beautifully designed, isn't it? It looks very um, what's the word? Not avant-garde, but it look I don't know, it has a classic look to it. So even though the CG may have dated a little, the whole style of it and the style that they've gone for with the city just really looks nice. I think yeah, on screen, yeah, it's kind of got like an Art Decoy Art Deco kind that's it. of that's what feel I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. Roger. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I thought the whole episode looked good. Very nicely directed. Yeah. Beautifully yeah. lit. You know, the scenes in the library and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were really good actually. Yeah, there were scenes mm. where there was this big sort of wash of blue light mm. around, and and there's a, a couple of scenes where River's got this um uh, this gun that sort of projects this sort of square on the wall, and that removes the oh that was great the wall. But the way they did it was really cool though because they didn't just put a a standard square in a wall. They sort of rotated it around a little it's bit. It's on an angle. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sort of those like physical effects mixed with, um, with the CG stuff look really good. And there was also the, um, the, the scenes at the beginning and at the end where the doctor and Donna are walking down the steps and they come to a big balcony and there's just a few books littered around and so on. The transition, because the camera moves from them being in front of a physical staircase which looks like a big grand staircase. I imagine it was in a, I don't know, like a big museum or something. I don't know where they uh, have to check the locations, but. Somewhere in Cardiff. Probably. <laughs> or in Wales, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was a, yeah, so Hensel Castle just outside Cardiff. Um, Palace Road, uh, Medical Centre. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, St. Mary's of Angels, uh, also in Wales. Yeah, it's a really nice big staircase. But the camera shifts from that to them looking behind them and it looks out across that big citadel of, of the library and stuff, the library city. And, um, and it, it kind of feels seamless because they've got the lighting bang on. Mm. So that looks really nice as well because that could have been a disaster. Like um, we could be in for like a classic Who moment, you know, where it shifts between like the CSO stuff. Yeah. And then like the no, set things, it could have I been I know like exactly that. what you said. It could have, yeah, it could have looked really ropey. Yeah. Yeah. So I love the, yeah. So in terms of CG, bud, 
holds up pretty well, I would say. And I watched this in HD. So I watched this on Netflix in HD and it looked pretty good. I must admit, so we were watching it. Um, we recently got a new 4K TV, which I assume upscale stuff. I don't know. I'm not really up on this sort of thing, but um, it looks fantastic on, on our television, I have to say. I, I assume it's upscaled, would it be? For, or, do, or is that only DVDs it does that with? No, probably. It would have up. Yeah, your TV. It certainly have, looks yeah. very sharp, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, I know we've talked a little bit about River, um, but I just wanted to say that I, I agree with you. River, I like the character of River, but at times she really irritates me as well. Um, but <laughs> especially some of the Matt Smith stuff. She is great in this, though. And I, I suppose it's for her first story, for an introduction story, she does a great job of making you feel like um, she could have quite easily been in it before. So if you didn't know, because she's so assured in her performance that she knows the Doctor and she's got a She's really got into the character, hasn't she, is what I'm trying to say. Like, she, Alex Kingston has grasped the fact that she has known the Doctor a lot longer than he has her. And she's got all this back knowledge about him. And I, I think she delivers it in a, in a very believable way. So you feel like she's already a very solid, rounded character right from the get-go. You wouldn't think this is necessarily the first time we'd ever met Ripper, would you? So I've got to give yeah. got to give Alex the credit for that, and also she's um, she's really good with the voiceover stuff because she delivers it with a lot of heart. That you know the stuff with the diary at the end that I mentioned, I find that quite moving. Um, oh yeah, when she, yeah. When she's talking yeah. about um, you know just every now and again, some you know somebody will save you. Or I don't know what she's written off, but that stuff, you know, the voiceover stuff she does is really really nice. But yeah, to come in and just nail the character, I think of. of River song, in, you know, in this story, I think Alex does a great job of that. She she feels very very uh, confident in her performance. Yeah, and she's great with David. I mean, the stuff at the end, she doesn't. Have, it, I know she didn't, but it doesn't often look like she give him a whack. <laughs> he really throws himself against that wall, and then his his sad little face when he's all handcuffed up, just yeah. looking at her at the end, and uh, you know, typical Moffat though. He had to get a, a sleazy line. He's he's like, why have you got handcuffs? She's like, spoilers. <laughs> Typical Moffat. He always has to slip in a little innuendo or so. But anyway, yeah, I thought Alex Kingston gives a very good performance in this. I, I really liked her in it. She definitely does, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mentioned that she's she hasn't got. There was a few episodes in the Matt Smith era where she can grate a little bit. She can be a little bit full on, and I mm. find all of the it's nothing too bad. But sometimes I find like the innuendos and the flirty stuff between her yeah, and Matt's doctor. Me too. I find yeah. that a little bit, it's okay now and then, but it can grate after a little while. But in this one, she's just, she's more about the heartbreak side of things, um, which is a shame really for her character, because this is the first time we we see her. And it's also, for her, it is heartbreaking because the Doctor has no clue who she is. Mm. Because she was hoping that she would get a more uh, sort of, an older version of the doctor at this point. So he at least would know who she is. Um, so from a character point of view, it is heartbreaking, but I love the stuff that they did with the whole, the doctor and um, the doctor moon character and stuff like that. So any of our listeners that are not sure on that stuff, um, uh, essentially the way that the moth wrote river songs character in this very first introduction for her was in fact, she's the doctor's widow because she sees the doctor die in his future. That's the whole point of it. So 
I think it's something like the 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 fifty fifth, the fifty fifth, or the forty fifth version of the Doctor is apparently the his their last one, and she sees him die, and uh, she knows at that point that um be, because she knows he's going to die, or the Doctor, you know, whichever way you look at it, um, uh, he he uploads himself as a version of the doctor within the, the hard drive within the system. And that's the, that's why we say that when that whole live stream thing came out and the moth was like, that is the doctor. When we say Dr. Moon, when we say that's a future version of the doctor, that's like the last version. That's like, Mm. you know, after the doctor is physically properly quote unquote died, that is the version. But he did that because he didn't want, River Song's character to be lonely within the system. So that whole thing is just beautifully written, but you just never really clock onto it because it never came to light that additional stuff. So that's, I I love all of that stuff. It's like the mothball just had that in his head right at the beginning when he was first writing River's character, but you never knew you only knew like sort of 80% of what was going on in his head really. So it's great that that's now come to light. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, as I said earlier, it totally works. I, I love all that stuff. Um, the thing is, shouldn't, because of the whole timeline thing, it's a dangerous thing to mess with. It's a brave thing to do, to have this character that's, you know, jumping through different versions of the Doctor's life. I often wonder if this is the last sort of time we see River in terms of her life span. Shouldn't she look older? That's the only thing. Like, she, obviously, Alex is a bit younger <laughs> at the point that they filmed this in her real life. But this is supposed to be River towards the end, isn't it? So shouldn't she look a bit older? I mean, it's a, it's a minor detail. I don't want to come in with a walking stick and grey hair and I'm River Song <laughs> and I used to know you as a young chap. But yeah, it, obviously she does. That's what I mean. I just don't know how far ahead the Moffat had planned this whole idea, you know. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess they got Botox in space. She could look younger. I mean, this is the future, right? Anything could happen. Well, not even that, dude. I think, um, I think maybe because I think River does say to the Doctor, I can't even remember what episode it is. I don't think it's this one. I think it is one of the Matt Smith ones. But I think, doesn't River say to the Doctor or to somebody about the Doctor that their time streams are moving in different, oh, at, at different yeah, times? Yes. Yeah. Because as well as their time streams moving opposite, in different directions, they're also moving at a different time. So what might be hundreds or thousands of years for the doctor might only be a very short space of time for river. Yes, I get you. I think don't quote me. No, on No, that, no, no. But- there is something like that. I mean, there's, that's what I mean. You can always, you can find an answer to almost anything. That's why it's not worth getting cross about things because you can always wreck on or find a way round stuff with Doctor Who. That's the joy of this program, isn't it? it? You can go anywhere with it. You can pretty much do anything. So yeah, it, it, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Um, I was just thinking about the Vash de Narada as well, um, and what a great creation they were, because again, the Moffat just coming out of another brilliant uh, baddie, you know, or if you want to call them a baddie, because great twist, isn't it? Is the, 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 they're... They see it as their home in the Doctor's light. But this is a library. It's not a forest. Oh, wait a minute. What are books made of? You know, again, great simple idea that the Moffat uses as a plot device. And, you know, 
just brilliant, really. <laughs> you know, again, I just think the Vassarada, a fantastic creation, just like the Weeping Angels. Like, you know, the Moth should be proud of some of the stuff he did on Doctor Who. He really should. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, bash him all you like, and he did do some rubbish stuff as well. But man, when he's when he's on fire, he's on fire, the Moffat. Defo, man. And to be honest with you, the, the stories that he wrote for Who before he was showrunner are really oh, good. Really yeah, good. they're superb. Yeah. yeah. It was only when he took over as showrunner and wanted to do these really big, interwoven, massive story arc things that it started to get a bit convoluted and a little bit away from him, I think. But certainly at well, this I- point, as he's when he's, I say just a writer, when he's writing just the story and he's not concerned about how that's going to link to a future episode too much because i assume between him and russell they would have they would have said like russell would have given them a heads up like by the way steer clear of this or yeah let's do that because we've got these stories upcoming but for the main he's just hired to write a nice sort of standalone two-parter i say standalone because you know river's a big thing but you know what i'm trying to say he's not like yeah yeah you know he doesn't feel the weight of having to worry about because that wasn't his job at the time that was russell's job so he was just brought in to write a really good story for Who, and that's exactly what he did, and Blink and some other bits. And yeah, I've, I think actually Russell said that he felt the Vashta Narada were scarier than the Weeping Angels. Well, they, they are pretty this. scary. I mean, this thing of the shadows is is great because the shadow it can creep up on you like out of nowhere. Um, and this thing of the skull sort of dropping down is, <laughs> is a really creepy effect. So they're definitely on par with the Weeping Angels. I'm, I mean, the silence as well, another brilliant Moffat creation. Uh, unfortunately with them, they, they, you know, they turned out to be a bit of a bit of a wet fish, really. But they, they were great in, the, in a couple of episodes and properly scary as well. So, you know, even those three great monsters that he's created. But Vashnarada, yeah, I often forget about them as well. I'll be honest, as much as I love this story, you know, I think of Moffat and I do instantly think Weeping Angels or Silence and I'm I kind of overlooked Bastion rather, and they 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 are brilliant creations. Yeah, there good, was a um, scary monster. There was a little bit in there to scare the kids as well, wasn't there? There was a bit where Donna. So when the Doctor first discovers that they are Vashti Narada, you know, he tosses the chicken drumstick. Oh yeah, yeah. And then it that's, sort of immediately you see the. Um, he says, "Oh, the Vashti Narada are on every planet and every every universe." And mm. Donna's like, "Well, they're not on Earth, are they?" And he's like, "Yeah." Not as, yeah. not as much, but you know. So you've probably got kids watching, thinking, "Holy crap!" Because like the doctors and like you know, when on a sunny day, you look at the little those particles in the, in the rays of sun. So you've probably got kids like, "Oh my god, I don't want to go to bed tonight." There's Vashti Narada under the bed and whatnot. So really nice uh, little nugget of like scaring the kids. And that's I think that's what Doctor Who's about. And I think Stephen loves to do that as well. He likes to take everyday objects and make them scary, like statues. So you, you could go out and. Anything could be, you know, any statue could be a weeping angel. There, there is a house uh, five minutes from where I live, which it's got this sort of long, thin path at the side of it. And right at the end of it is what I can only describe as a weeping angel. It looks just like, every time I walk past it, I think it's a weeping angel at the end of that path. <laughs> it's just this tall statue of like an angel with oh, wings. God. But it's not, um, it looks really old. It's near a church as well. I don't know if it's related, but, but yeah. So, you know, something every day objects and I, I think that's great because if you're a kid you could just have so much fun with that that would you know? creep you out uh, as well like the rational part of your brain would be like it's a tv show but if you're making a cuppa and it's night time you look over and you see that statue that 
Oh man, as a fan of Doctor Who, that would absolutely play on your mind, wouldn't it? It would. Definitely. And I think, and that's, I mean, they did it in the, in the classic series, but they got in trouble for it. I think, you know, we, when we reviewed Terror of the Autons recently, we were saying about making policemen into autons and shop dummies, you know, so that there is a fine line, but I kind of like it when they bring stuff from the real world into a story, like you said, because you can then, when you're on the bus and your mind, you're on the way to work and your mind's drifting, you can look out the window and see a gargoyle up on the roof. You think, oh my God, that could be, you know, <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the doctor's out there somewhere ready to save you if it was real. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk, let's rattle through a couple of supporting cast people. Cause there was, um, we had the team, mm. we had the team arrived, didn't we? Who were led by, <clears throat> led by, by river, but there was the dude that, um, Strackman looks, uh, that's it. Yeah. He, um, he was, uh, kind of leading the, the, tribe i suppose from i don't know from a company based point of view played by steve pemberton um, yeah really liked his character progression because he's very dislikable at first but i think he's meant to be and then there's that scene right near the end where he starts to explain to to, to the doctor and the others exactly who cal is which is the girl and then he reveals doesn't he like she's his granddaughter's his granddad's daughter or something like that so his family and his whole mood his whole demeanor changes from being like this very standoffish businessman who the doctor dislikes very much. So we automatically dislike him as well. But then he changes and he right at the end, he's, we, we understand his true intentions. He's just trying to preserve the the whole system and, and Cal, you know, the girl and stuff. So he had a pretty good performance, actually. For most of part one, I thought, you know, he's a bit of a dick, this guy. You expect him to die. You think, oh, he's yeah, going to get it because yeah. he's unlikable, yeah. Yeah, what yeah. do you reckon? It's because um, he's pretty good, Steve Pemberton. He's he is pretty I, good. I love Steve Pemberton as an actor because I, you know, Inside Number Nine, Psychoville, uh, League Gentleman. I, I love all that stuff, and I just find him a, a really great character actor, Steve Pemberton. Um, yeah, he's, he 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 takes what's on the page and he goes with it. I I feel like he could have pushed it a little bit more, but I, I do think he's good in it. Um, the Doctor kind of speaks for all of us as well when he shouts at him at the end, doesn't he? He's like, what? this is information I sh- you should have told me. And I'm thinking, yeah, why didn't you tell him? <laughs> yeah. But then that's part of the character, isn't it? Of, of Strackman looks that, you know, yeah. he doesn't trust the doctor. So why would he tell him? Um, but yeah, it's really nice to have Steve Pemberton in, in Doctor Who. I, I, as I said, I just think he's a great little, great actor anyway, a great character actor. Yeah, uh, if, if anyone listening has never watched Inside Number Nine, go and seek it out. It's a brilliant TV series with Steve Pemberton and uh, Rhys Shearsmith and, little half hour episodes every single one of them's different they play different characters and he's great in those absolutely yeah. brilliant no he was good so yeah it's good to have him in doctor who. I, I always like the fact he's in doctor who yeah mm. then we had miss evangelista played by Tallulah riley is that the one who says where's the who gets killed first he's like where's the nice lady that's right yeah when, yeah she's the one that nobody really wants around she's just a yeah bit a, and they treat her pretty badly and then she turns up in donna's dream world with the oh, walked face. With the walk, yeah. Walked face yeah. yeah, I really liked her. Um, mm. Really, because that seems lovely, isn't it? Where she's like, "I want to speak to the kind lady," and Donna's like, "Is she t- talking about me?" What? Uh, I just thought that was a really beautiful scene. Um, really beautiful because the bit I like is when Donna doesn't realise that she's when the um, what's the character called Anita, uh, no Miss Evangelista, yeah, Miss Evangelista. I like the bit where she starts looping, but Donna thinks she can't hear her. 
She's like, no, 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 I won't tell them. Don't worry, it's fine. And and then she says, but you won't tell them. No, no, I said I won't tell them. And it's it's heartbreaking. Mm. Uh, but it's a beautiful scene. That really, mm. really good. So I like that character, and it's great when she turns up in the in the in the uh, alternative universe or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah that really knocks fact. Donna, doesn't it? She can't quite believe that she's dead and this is happening, and it's everyone's yeah everyone's a bit solemn really and the doctor doesn't really want to tell her too much because it's quite emotional but mm. yeah he, he tells her and then she can't yeah she's crying everything oh it's sad what about um other dave and proper dave so we had other we had other dave <laughs> who was played by I'm, i would absolutely butcher his name so fortunately the actor doesn't mind being referred to as just ot and then we oh, had right. uh, and then we had proper dave played by harry peacock and uh he's um He's the one that discovers the the two shadows early on. He's the yeah. one that sort of gets earmarked. This is after Miss Evangelista dies, but um, yeah. So those two, they were they were okay. Um, a little bit of bants here and there, nothing too crazy. No, I was going to say we we've been very positive about this two parter, and I don't really have a lot of negative to say. Um, we talked a little bit about the pacing. If I had one sort of other minor criticism of the story. It would be that perhaps these characters are a little underdeveloped because um, I don't really, they're not very memorable to me. So, you know, that's mm. a, a slight criticism. Really, that There is that chance of like when they get killed that you're not going to care a little bit. I mean, with the first one, the girl I mentioned, that there is a bit more to her. So you do feel for her when she dies. These guys, they are a little bit too much in the background. I felt like they should have been given a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. to do but yeah no, it's a, again a very minor criticism because they're still a lot better than some of the background cast that we got in future stories that literally got killed and you were like well didn't even notice they were there so exactly. yeah they're not yeah. they're not that level but yeah they could have been written up a little bit more i feel mm-hmm. and then we had anita she was the she was the one that lasted the longest really even though she was you knew she was going to die but the doctor sort of blacks out her visor to try and trick the fashion Narada into thinking that you know, it's already dark, so she might already be dead and stuff. And that's a great scene, isn't there, where the doctor's fiddling with something, everyone else has gone on, and he clocks that it's not Anita anymore, it's the Vashta Narada speaking. Yeah. Because he's sort of, he's doing something, and he just, he doesn't even look at her, he just waves his sonic, and then the skeleton appears, the skull, and he's like, oh, I really like Anita. You know, he's really cross because, yeah, yeah, he just got on really well with her, and that's one of those cross Doctor moments for 10 for David Tennant, but yeah, but uh, he doesn't go too OTT, but yeah, she's no, pretty that's good. A, yeah, yeah, she is good, but yeah, that's a great scene, isn't it? It's like, how long have you known? And he, mm. he really, you can tell he's really holding back the rage. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you see, I mean, he's really like bubbling underneath the surface in that bit. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, she was a good, good character, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, and then obviously Colin Salmon, uh, Salmon, Doctor Moon. Great, actually. I mean, he's, only in it. He's, he's not in it as much as I remembered. I thought, always think he's in it more, but I love the scenes he's in. It's good casting because he's got that calm voice, isn't he? Yes. And then you remembered yeah. and then you forgot. It's, yeah, he's, he's great in it. Um, I'm wondering actually what you thought of <laughs> the child, because child actors in Doctor Who, they can be very hit and miss. And that kid in this one, she's got an important part to play. So what do you reckon to the girl? She doesn't even have a name, does she, the character? I think she's just called The Girl, uh, uh, Eve Newton. Eve Newton. Is that her? Yeah. yeah. So what do you reckon to the child actor in this? Not Forest of the Dead uh, bad, is it? 
Not quite. No, she's no. um, yeah, she's actually pretty oh, good. Hang on, actually. not for, sorry, not Forest of the Dead because this is this is Forest of the Dead. So what's the um, Nightmare Iron in Silver? Forest of the Night, maybe the oh. Capaldi one is what I'm referring to. Sorry, where we had dreadful kid actors. Oh, I um, thought that was the Matt Smith one with those two kids. That well, that as well. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. though. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think she's not quite that level of of cringe. I thought she was quite decent. I think the only yeah. bit where she's a bit rubbish is where she's screaming at her dad in episode two. Um, but up until that point, I, I don't think she's too bad. Actually. I think she has to carry some quite important scenes and she does look quite young. Um, I think she's all right, especially in episode one. I think she's particularly good. Like when she sees the doctor and Donna and all the stuff in her house or whatever it's meant to be. She's not bad. She's not too bad. Yeah. She's not bad. I wonder if she's gone on to do anything else. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, she was okay. She wasn't up there with like big levels of cringe for um, no, for too much. But uh, oh no, this is the only credit she's got as an actor. Oh, yeah, shame. just these two things. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. And then the other couple of things, bits I've got in my notes just quickly is the the terminals with the face on, pretty good. I love that. I think it's a really unusual design. It's so simple. Um, but it, it absolutely works. Just this head turning around. It's great. It's just weird. Yeah, it's weird, um, yeah. But, it's but good, I though. really like it. Yeah, I really yeah. like those those things. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing was, we've already spoken about it early on, was it's just it's got one of my favorite scenes in in David Tennant's era of Who, which is the early on in the episode, he tells River that you can't open the TARDIS with snapping your fingers. Oh yeah, yeah. And then that scene later on. The way it's shot, it just gives me goosebumps every single time, dude. It's where he's standing there and he's got his arm outstretched. And then the camera sort of zooms in. It does this kind of weird depth of field, um, but moving forward sort of effect. And then it goes back to looking at his face. You just see his face straight on. Then it cuts back to him side on. And then boom, like he snapped his fingers. And then like you said, that bit where he walks in and Donna's there and the camera slowly pans in and he snaps honestly mate one of the brilliant it's only short isn't it and it doesn't really have an impact on the story but freaking hell gives it's me a moment. Bumps, man. Yeah. yeah i'm absolutely the same i it doesn't matter how many times i see it it's beautifully directed shot the lighting i just i love the uncertainty on david's face he's thinking because he's like uh, during the episode he's you can't open the tardis doors by clicking your fingers and then but you can sort of thinking can you can i so I love the fact that when it's all over, he's got the chance to actually try it. And it's just like, is this going to work? And it's just the uncertainty on his face. And then it does. What a moment. Awesome, Where yeah. did that come from as well? What made the, because on paper, that, that doesn't really sound particularly exciting. You know, like, where did the moth get that idea from? Like, oh, this is going to be, you know, didn't even think it was going to be an awesome scene. Or Do you know what I mean? The doctor clicks his fingers and the tireless doors open. It doesn't really sound that exciting on paper, does it? But it's just the way it's handled. It's, it's just a great moment. Yeah. Beautifully done. Yeah. No, yeah. I love it, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got anything else on your notes, bud? I don't think so. No, I think I've pretty much said what I wanted to say. Yeah. Coolio. Right. I think it's you to go first this week. Okie dokie. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to give this overall, uh, a nine out of 10. Um, I gave episode one an eight, 0.5 because I thought it was great and I gave episode two a nine 
So, um, but I think overall it's a nine. I, I just think it's a great two parter. Really, cool, really like it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this a 9.5. Whoa, that's one of your highest. It is. Rage yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, you know what? The last time we gave nines, there's only three times this year we've given nines. And that was. Oh, um, no, don't say it. I'm not going to say one of them. So we'll, we'll discount that. We'll discount that because we, we, we've come we've to our senses our a little bit of sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we gave Inferno. A nine each. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Perthby store, yeah. So, cool, man. Yeah, I gave it a 9.5 just because uh, it's just all, for me, it's like the the perfect mix of all, like, the, the, the stuff that makes a Doctor Who story just so good. And I love the performances more than anything. And the, the music's on point and the got a great monster in it and the suspense is great. And, oh, man, it's just, it's, it's peak Doctor Who for me, buddy. Yeah. Peak Doctor Who. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. The, yeah, the music, the, the script has got funny moments, um, action, light moments. It's, yeah, it's got it all. It yeah. really has. I'm going to yeah. whack the soundtrack on this afternoon. Yeah, because uh, it really has got it all, this one, I think. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. Right. What did our awesome listeners think? We had a, a few uh, audio clips in, so let's get to those. The first one is our regular reviewer from Down Under, this is Sammy Satine. G'day, Gary and Adam, Sammy Satine here. So, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. I love reading, I love books, and because of that, I'm a qualified library technician. So you can see why I love the idea of a planet that's a library. The only downside being that it's so incredibly huge that it'd take ages to shelf all those books. I love Donna. She's my favourite new series companion in the first one I saw. The Vashtun and Ryder are creepy and they do something Doctor Who has been missing lately. They play into a simple childhood fear. The Dark. Chibnall, are you listening? River's song is brilliant and Alex Kingston gives a great performance. I had only previously seen her prior to this and she's fantastic in that too. Also, here you can see why River is a child of the TARDIS. Her brain is as big as the Doctor's. It had to be for her to sacrifice herself. There's so much more I could say about the story, but no time. One of Stephen Moffat's finest. 10 Vashtunarada out of 10. See ya. Wowzers. Sammy's loving it. Sammy's loving this one, a 10. I can see Stephen Moffat kicking back with a large glass of red wine saying, yeah, I've earned this. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I suspected this would happen. The 10s <laughs> would start rolling in eventually. <laughs> thank you very much sammy a 10 right moving on this is mr seb lane hello gary and adam so this week what have we got we've got the brilliant series four two part of uh what's it called uh science and library and forest of the dead that's it so i've watched this one this week and i thought it was very good uh i'm not a massive fan of river song as most people know uh but she was okay in this you know quite cool how you know her arc sort of links in a couple of seasons times whatever um yeah very good very creepy runaround story i always refused to watch this when when i was younger about 10 years ago i this was a disc that i just never i avoided it basically um i still this might be unpopular opinion but i do think the whole stuff with dr moon and the girl was a bit irrelevant i would have just liked it if it was um a bit of a base under siege they arrive on a library and there's this weird darkness thing I just think I know it's relevant to the plot, but I just think that you know. Okay, bye. Got to go. Got to go because got to leave this under a minute. Stay safe. Bye. <laughs> but it's Doctor Moon. It's I Dr. love Doctor Moon. Yeah. 
Okay, so some more love, though, for it. Yes. Yeah, some, uh, another good one. Thank you very much, Seb, as always. Uh, moving on, this is Mr. Martin Arnold. Hello, sweeties. Um, I like this episode, and I suspect a lot of other people like it as well. It's massively self-indulgent, um, but the monster is great. Plays on the primal fears. Um, Moffat does that very well. He understands the psychology of, of how Doctor Who monsters should work, I think, better than anyone else um, in the modern era. Um, so all credit to him for that. It's just this episode relies on buying into River Song, and we don't know anything about her, but she knows all about the Doctor. Fortunately, Alex Kingston um, has all the charisma and saucy charm to uh, pull off that role, and it's, it's great. You know, she's always endearing, a little bit vulnerable, um, and so she's not totally overpowering. The stuff with the computer is a bit odd. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit obvious, which kind of makes it a little bit self-indulgent and therefore tedious. It's really claustrophobic when Donna gets uh, pulled in and, and uh, she's sort of living that weird life. That's, it's interesting, but it's almost like it, it, it could have been a plot in its own right and not um, a sort of subplot. On the whole, I give it an 8 out of 10. Um, it's really good. And uh, no stealing books from the library. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, no stealing books. Oh. An 8 for Martin. Yes, decent. Yeah. And he's right, though, that whole subplot, that could have been a whole thing on its own if they wanted to. They could have fleshed that out and made a whole episode on its own. For that stuff. Yeah, true. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, good point, Martin. Yeah, nice one. Uh, right, moving on. Lastly, this is Mr. Joe Turner. Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead is unbelievable. It opens immediately with a twist when we get introduced to River Song. After we've got all the stuff going on to do with the girl and Dr. Moon, along with the Pastor Narada, there's not a minute to breathe, which I love. And then the end of part one, when Donna has left the library and been saved, the shock is unbelievable. Well, for such a great cliffhanger. Then part two steps up even further. When Donna's on that world and her children disappear and Miss Evangelista reveals that horrific face, it's genuinely terrifying. But at the same time, when I was four or five watching this, I loved it and was encapsulated by the episode. Finally, the scene with Donna and her husband spitting up at the end really, really makes me sad. And when she utters the words, I will find you, it wells me up every time. The, the Vashnarada are amazing, and River and the Doctor at the end in that scene are emotionally renting, with the score in the background doing wonders for the scene. Because when she describes all the stuff about the singing's house, Thurillium, and the crash of the Byzantium, we want to know more. So when she dies, we're confused, but left wondering more. As a result, as a, as a result the sublime acting, the great action, leads me to say this gets a 10 out of 10. Thank you. Another 10. Another 10. Crikey. This is great. Steve, Stephen will be loving it. I must admit, um, I totally agree. I wrote my very first note on the my pad was 10 minutes in and this script is already brimming with ideas. So I totally agree with you there, Joe. Yeah. yeah like straight from the get-go, you're, you're dragged into this great story. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, defo. Yeah, nice one, Joe. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of our audio reviewers. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Much appreciated as always. Uh, let's move on to the socials. We had a bunch over on Twitter, so I'm going to rattle through these very, very quickly. Uh, Millie McKenzie said, I think I could quote this whole story if I tried. I've seen it that many times. I can't fault it. It's perfect. Uh, Vincent, awesome. Vincent Blonde says, I think it's the best episode that the Moff has written in the RTD era. Sad, clever, full of action, very creepy. Uh, also a rare example where both parts are excellent. Uh, mm. So it gives it a 10 out of 10. Another 10. Nice one, yeah. Tom Meehan says, a great story from a great series and writer. The intro and ending of River is fantastic, but heartbreaking. 
Donna is superb as always. Vash and Arada are scary. And the Doctor feels like the Doctor in Series 4. Uh, I'm not a big fan of 10. Okay. okay. There you Good. go. Uh, our writer, Jordan Shortman, says a story that's grown on me. I originally didn't like it, but thankfully mm. like it now. Catherine Tate is particularly superb in the second episode, and Alex Kingston is instantly likable as River. Um, uh, even if she's alongside Tennant and not Matt Smith, like we'd expect. Yep. Uh, TARDISnet 66, my favourite 10th Doctor story and one of Stephen Moffat's best. River song at her best, and she was a mystery with a lot of conflict with the Doctor. Uh, a memorable group of side characters and a Vash and Arada are terrifyingly utilise, uh, utilising everyone's childhood fear of the dark. Goes on to say, I absolutely love it. Uh, Sarah Louise, a running Whovian. Always running. Always running. Says, I enjoyed this. A great concept, lots of mystery and some extremely creepy moments. She goes on to give it a nine out of ten. Um, Chippy T says, horror with the empty spacesuits, terror as they flee the darkness. Uh, pathos with the loss of children. This thing has everything. It lives up to its reputation. 8.5. Nice. Thomas Fallows has the best 10th Doctor moment. That still gives me chills. Uh, this is everything Moffat does with Doctor Who. Scares, adventures, heartbreak, and yet all with a wonderful finish. 9 out of 10. Nice. Jeff Waddle says, probably the Moth's best story. And easily Tennant at his best, even though the premise is emerged from a story in a 70s Doctor Who annual. Oh, what's that then? Well. Let us know, Jeff, what that is. Uh, he goes on to give it a 10 out of 10, the highlight of Tenant's era. Brilliant. Uh, our good friend Morgan. Morgan says, an outstanding story. The acting, suspense, atmosphere and great plot make it for an absolutely terrifying bit of who. It scared the pants off me and still does now. Um, the Vash Narada were so menacing and River Song story is just beginning or is it ending? Gives it 4,022 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Morgs. Uh, Tom... Uh, Titan Sci-Fi says, love River's introduction with all her mystery. Brilliant episodes, a 9 out of 10. Lovely. Uh, cheers, Tom. Uh, the Universe of Who, one of my favourite stories from the Tenant era. Sharp writing from Moffat, wonderful performances. Um, all the right ingredients stirred up to make a great product. Very true. Uh, Rob says, I love the two-parter, especially now knowing that we what we know about River Song. Her interaction with David was brilliant. You just watch us run. Ooh. Oh, that was really good, that line. I know, another one, yeah. yeah. Uh, so good lines. Yeah, Dennis Castle says, I thought that River's appearance was a one-off. Who'd have thought that the importance that Stephen Moffat would give to her over the next few years? As for the actual tale, the villains were almost as creepy as the Weeping Angels. Uh, Lost on Gallifrey podcast. Uh, very, very cool podcast. This one, go and check it out. Uh, they say, fantastic story. Can't praise it enough in one tweet. Great setup of the library, Cow's Dream World and the Mysterious River song. Really clever. Particularly love the way the dream world works. Quickly jump into the next scene, quote unquote. Uh, it's something you initially assume is editing, but it actually works with the mechanics of Donna's story because it's exactly how dreams work. Yeah. Uh, if you forgot how good this one is, well, then you remembered. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> 9.5. And lastly, Edward Galuli says, an excellent episode featuring a great guest cast and the best River Song story. The Vashta Narada are good, creepy villains. The setting of the library works well. Another nine out of ten. Wow. Uh, we had a few over on Facebook. Charlie Turner says, hey, who turned out the lights? <laughs> hey, who turned out the lights? Great, excellent two-parter. Nice introduction to River Song, even if she did become very annoying, starting from Let's Kill Hitler onwards. Yeah. Uh, love the Vash and Arada. They are perhaps the scariest villain since The Empty Child back in season one. Uh, series one, sorry. Bloody hell, Gary. Come on. Series one. Uh, this two-parter most likely gets a 10 out of 10 
nothing else needs to be said. Wow. Kevin Mullen says, superior storytelling by the moth and one of David Tennant's very best outings as the Doctor. Production values are phenomenal. Ten chicken legs out of ten. <laughs> and lastly, Joseph Howarth says, this was such a brilliant two-parter. I really, 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 really wish this was River's first and only story because I feel like she was at her best. She was intelligent, strong, and she didn't act smug and say spoilers over and over and over again. Mm. Uh, but they had to include her in other seasons, I guess. Anyway, the fashion rider were great. Stuff with Donna was amazing and also a good way to foreshadow the finale of series four. Not much to say other than awesome, a nine out of 10. Wow. So dude, this one, as, as expected, I would say, getting loads of love from everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I mean, yeah, like you said, expected, but I, I was worried that some people might say it's a bit overrated because it, it is one of those stories I think you have to sort of get into. It's, um, like you said, it can be a bit complicated. So I, I'm glad that everyone's enjoyed it. Yeah, because I think it's a great, great to part. Indeedy. Yep, yes. yes. So a nine from him and a 9.5 from me to round that one off next week, bud. What we got? Next week, yeah, back to our Sarah Jane friends. So it's a Sarah Jane Adventures, and this one's called The Vault of Secrets. Ooh, Ooh who's in the vault? It's not Missy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's me cool, dude. Back to old Sarah Jane. Yeah, Sarah Jane. Next week, yes. Right, I think we're going to wrap there, dude, for 2.83. Indeed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking with us for another week and listening to the Big Blue Box podcast. It's been wonderful to have you all on board. As always, new listeners to the show, waving to you. Thank you very much for, for checking us out and listening to the show. It's great to have you here. Old-time listeners, long-timers, grizzled ancients, it's good to have you back as well uh, for another episode. So, yeah, it was very, very cool, dude, going through Silence in a Library and Forest of the Dead wanted to do that one for ages next week as adam said we're going back to sarah jane the sarah jane ventures and the vault of secrets which sounds very ominous and interesting at the same time yeah yes so get your dvds out get your blu-rays or whatever it is unfortunately sarah jane's not on iplayer or anything like that at the moment so go go and whatever medium you've got that on go and watch because we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews as always until then Remember to check out our website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our previous shows on there. Plus, you can link off to the various podcast apps and networks and whatnot, because uh, we'd love to have you as a subscriber. Um, that way, you won't miss a show when it lands every single Friday. And if you do subscribe to the show already, if you've got a minute to leave a rating or a review, that would be awesome. Thank you very much for that. Anyone that's uh, left a review already, thank you so much. It helps us out loads and loads over on the podcast stuff. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. There are links on the website. Come and give us a like and a follow there. We chat Doctor Who throughout the week. And we're on um, Discord as well. We've got a free Discord server. There's a link to that from the website. Come and hang out and chat Doctor Who with plenty of other Doctor Who fans. Got loads of people talking about their collections at the minute. There are some really cool uh, stuff posted over there. And loads of big finished chat as well, which is good. So come and get involved over there always good always good remember to check out my co-host channel as well over on youtube it's called the geek's handbag it certainly is indeedy 
Just do a search for that. There's a link on the website to that too. But go and get yourself comfy, grab a drink, and settle in for a bunch of really cool geeky stuff on there. Loads of unboxings, reviews, location stuff, scouting out and looking out toys and stuff. Loads of really cool stuff to get involved over there. And Adam's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Indeed. Until next week, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Right, dude. I think we're going to wrap there for 283. What are we on? 283. Oh, balls. (laughs) What's he doing in here? (laughs) Get out.